listening to GradCast, a podcast and radio show of Western University. I'm Elizabeth Muller. I'm your host. My co-host today in the seat is Ariel Frank, and we are joined by Francesco Colosimo. Hi, Francesco. How are you? Hi, everyone. How are you today? We're, we're good, but we're really excited, Francesco, because we're going to hear about your research, and it's very timely, very pertinent, and extremely important. So tell us, just to kick us off here, a little bit about your program and your work. Yeah, so thank you, Elizabeth. So um, right now I'm doing a Master's of Health Information Science. Um, I'm in the second year of doing that. Um, and like you said, I'm doing some research that's very current to today's climate. And I'm looking at, you know, the health information that is emerging in today's society um, regarding the topic of COVID. Um, and right now I'm in the process of looking at all the literature that, you know, surrounds that, that's coming out about that. And I'm hoping to draw some conclusions that, you know, for public health purposes, we can look to and, you know, structure certain things in the future. Um, what I'm looking at specifically is the integrity of the information coming out. Um, also known as misinformation, so whether the information is trusted, um, whether it's correct, um, as well as you know the certain methods and channels that some of this information is being disseminated, and some of, and and the connection between the integrity of the information and those certain channels, um, as well as certain ways that public health organizations and, and government organizations can communicate this very you know vital information regarding COVID and other things in such a great way and in the most efficient way that'll instill, you know, the best behavior change and the best safety measures to be up, you know, to be uptake, whether that's wearing masks, social distancing, etc. All really important stuff. Maybe before we jump in too much further, could we backpedal? Could you tell us what exactly is health and information science? Yeah, so that's a good question. That's a question that, you know, me and my classmates, we get a lot. Um, and the simplest answer is health information science doesn't have a definition. Um, well, it does, but you can almost define it in any way that you like. Um, and you can frame your research um, in any way that you like, as long as you justify it. Um, so health information can take on a number of things. I have colleagues doing research in public health and public law, and they're looking at, you know, the construction of health policies and the way we can make the best policies. I have classmates that are looking at AI and, and disseminating health information with AI and, and health related apps. Um, you know, I have um, classmates that are looking at health information and how certain treatments get to rural populations in Canada. Um, so I guess going back to what I originally said, um, we look at health information um, and we like to frame that in different ways depending on the research that, you know, we, we attempt to attack. And for me, health information for my specific research is, you know, the information that is being disseminated from governments and, and public health agencies to the population. So I'm looking at, at it from a very broad level. Um, but you can narrow it, you can go from, you know, the broad level in which I'm looking at all the way to patient physician interactions and stuff like that. Um, so it's not a certain thing. Not all of us in our program, you know, look at certain things or research certain things. Um, but we all start with the broad term of health information science and then try to define it and justify it with our own research and with our own data. You know, um, 
when you were talking about, you know, information, uh, i.e. also misinformation, um, this is really interesting or I'm really, I feel invested emotionally a little bit in this because uh, as a scientist, I, when I see misinformation, I feel like it's sometimes my job to combat it. I have to say, hey, wait a second, I'm a science scientist. I'm trying to tell the world about my science. And if I see someone spreading misinformation about science that I'm knowledgeable about, I feel like I have to correct it with the correct information. Um, where where are people finding their information? I mean, I feel like people sometimes people come up with, hey, I heard this somewhere. Where, where what sources uh, of information are you looking at? Yeah, so um, that's a great question, and and that's definitely one thing that I'll be looking at. Um, you know, through the lens of COVID, but through through the the literature that I've been looking at, I think most of the time the misinformation is unfortunately coming from social media, um, whether that's Twitter, Instagram, um, et cetera, Facebook. Um, and the very problematic thing is that while most of the information comes from social media, um, more often than not, people get most of their news from social media as well. So it's kind of a double-edged sword where as we're progressing, we are seeing more and more people getting their news from social media but more and more misinformation popping up on social media, where in the past people were getting their information through, you know, the news, um, newspaper and different TV outlets and news outlets that is more controlled by the government and more controlled by organizations that can fact check the information um, and make sure that, you know, the information being disseminated is proper and it's correct. Um, and there right now are not a lot of measures on social media, um, you know, the big three, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, um, ensuring that the information that's going up, you know, especially regarding very serious topics is actually correct. You know, that's interesting that you bring that up, that the big three, what, you know, how do you think this, this idea of misinformation starts? Like it's, it's really interesting to think about all the different outlets we have available to us in this digital age that we're in and we're even more digital now being that we're we're stuck at home so how do you think this this kind of misinformation starts yeah so i guess part of the reason why i think that it's on social media i guess just to go away from your question a little bit i think part of the reason why it pops up on social media the fact that it's anonymous and that you know people can really post anything from an anonymous point of view um as well as they, for the first time almost in history, anyone has, you know, the platform to reach large amounts of people. Where in the past, um, you know, it was very hard to, to reach a large amount of people. Now through social media, that's become possible. So the fact that it's wide reaching and it's anonymous. Um, you know, the actual source of misinformation um, for that reason is actually very hard to determine or why certain people choose to attempt to circulate, you know, um, bad information or misinformation. Um, and there doesn't seem to be a reason why, you know, for very serious topics like COVID, that someone would want to circulate, you know, incorrect information. Um, unfortunately, there's no data about that. There's like, there's almost very little way that they can investigate that. So the reason in which people try to circulate misinformation is unknown maybe they just 
they want to create a little bit of anxiety and havoc. Um, but I think the way that this misinformation seems to gain traction is through the, the widespread nature of social media and the fact that its source is anonymous. I mean, I, uh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just a, a little bit cynical, <laughs> uh, but I, I've always been uh, pretty skeptical of the, you know, open use of social media. People are just like, yeah, I'm going to put all my information out there and I'm going to just engage with it to my heart's content. I, I've kind of felt um, maybe it's kind of an antisocial tendency, but I've not wanted to engage with social media in that way with, uh, with, with people. But in part, it's also this kind of icky feeling that there's, that there's a corporate interest that's sort of that's governing uh, what I do on this platform. And their interest isn't really to provide me something that I like, but to make money. And, and, and the question is, how are they doing it? So, I mean, maybe one thing that comes to my mind is misinformation gets eyes, gets clicks. So there's a monetary incentive potentially there because the more clicks you get the more money you could get regardless of why they click does that factor in or do you look at uh, monetary incentives behind um, where information is coming from yeah so that's funny that you touched upon that and um, I recently read an article in the economist that said um, you know out of all the resources in the world in today's society data is actually the most expensive resource and it surpassed oil um, and wow. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, you know, just away from my research and um, just for conversation, unfortunately, you know, there's conspiracies that um, all of our data is being mined for, we don't really know the purpose. And, um, you know, the whole controversy about targeted ads, um, I think we're, we all believe in those right now where we'll Google search something or we seem to just talk about something to a friend and, you know, we get an ad for that exact same thing. Um, so that's, you know, that's an obvious indication or an obvious case of them monetizing off that information. Um, now, it, based on, you know, going back to your question, if, if misinformation is circulated for the sake of, you know, profiting, um, it's possible. Um, you know, if it's kind of a throwaway news source where, you know, you know, some news sources that we know are kind of, you can't, they can't be trusted maybe they get paid for clicks, maybe they get paid for likes, um, maybe they're paid to circulate that information um, from someone else, who knows. Um, but, you know, big data in general is, um, I think, you know, it, it's, a, it's a bit of a problem because there's so, so much data coming out right now, um, not just about COVID, but, you know, everyone using social media, everyone using their electronic devices. This is all data that's being created and um, the policies and the laws haven't really kept up with, you know, the culmination of all this data. Um, and it may not even be illegal to harvest it and sell it at this point. And it's just, um, you know, it's a bit of a free for all right now. And they're starting to learn that in Europe and they're starting to make regulations around that in Europe, you know, harvesting big data and then selling it for different purposes. Um, so I think we, you know, policy and, and we have a lot to do in realizing, you know, how serious, you know, if we think about it on a broad scale, how serious this, this can be if all of our data is being mined and used for a specific purpose. And um, we don't even know at this point. So 
but yeah, back to your question, for sure it could be monetized in, in ways I don't even think we could know yet. Do you have, uh, are there particular um, aspects of information being circulated on COVID that makes it um, ripe for study? Why, why COVID? Yeah, so I guess we chose to study COVID simply because as, you know, as this whole epidemic or pandemic progresses, um, there's just so much information coming out right now. And it's the first time, you know, for me, that I remember that, you know, all of this health information is coming out in real time and you could almost see it progress. Um, and it's a really good, good way at, you know, evaluating and critiquing certain, you know, strategies and ways that governments and, you know, health agencies are disseminating the information um, to the public. And it's a really good way of trying to figure out, okay, which strategies were beneficial um, which strategies worked in, you know, getting the population to wear masks, getting the population to socially distance or, you know, maintain their interactions to a certain number of people or, you know, which countries, you know, seem to have a really good, you know, health information communication strategy and their numbers were lower versus some of the other countries um, where it may, they may not have been successful. Um, indicated by, you know, measurable, measurable factors that I just talked about. Um, so I guess going back to your question, COVID just gives us an opportunity to, in real time, kind of analyze the ways in which right now health information is being communicated to the public. Um, and it's, it's quite, you know, terrifying, but kind of exciting at the same time. You mentioned some strategies around what's worked, what hasn't in terms of getting people to wear a mask, uh, getting people to comply with social distancing and numbers. Uh, what are some of those strategies that maybe have worked and maybe some that have not worked so well? Yeah, so I really, you know, in my research, I, I intend to really get into the details of, you know, the frequency at which messages from the government or health agencies to the public were disseminated, through which channels they were disseminated, um, and even, you know, the nature and kind of the tone and the information and the way that they chose to frame the message. For example, you know, in, in North America and, and in the UK, a lot of the COVID-related messages to the public seem to be very information set centric you know um you know these are the numbers um this is what's happening this is what you should do and it was almost very serious and you know in a way meant to instill a little bit of fear um versus some of the other countries you know around china who have been who are very close to china but actually their numbers um early on for covid were actually very low like singapore um, South Korea, etc. Um, and it looks like, you know, in the early stages, they, their messaging was very frequent. Um, they used, they chose to use social media platforms that were very prevalent in those countries, um, like WeChat, um, like WhatsApp, um, like Weibo, and, and so forth and so on. Um, and their messages seem to be very positive. Um, instead of information centric. They used a lot of hashtags, um, you know, stay strong. Um, they tried to instill an environment of rallying around 
um, healthcare practitioners, or, you know, trying to instill a sense of, or an environment of we are in this together. Um, and it, it seemed to have worked um, to some regard. And, and they seem to be, you know, very willing to adhere to, you know, some of the measures put in place for safety in those countries um, versus some of the other countries where, you know, the messages and, and, and the way it, in which it was disseminated didn't seem, um, you know, as successful. Um, we all know how high the numbers were in the U.S., um, in the U.K., and, and the population um, seemed to be, you know, less willing to adhere to these measures. And I'm not saying that is because that's a result of the way they frame their messages, um, but it, it's just a way, it, it could have played a, a factor for sure, and just simply in my opinion. Um, so those are the things that I'm looking at. So frequency of the messages, um, the way that they were disseminated, as well as, you know, even the language that were used in these messages to pretty much convey the exact same information. Um, so for a health information point of view, it's, it's actually quite fascinating. When you, when you look at, if you're looking across the world um, at, at these different countries and their messaging, um, are you going, when you like look at trends, will you stratify or like separate into groups um, countries whereby the government has more control of that messaging versus countries that don't. So like, I mean, I think that there's this real sentiment of freedom of the individual in North American countries like, like Canada and the U S where we've, we, we really feel like um, the, the government, when we speak on social media, the government shouldn't have anything to do with that. Whereas I know, I mean, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I get the feeling that in, in China, you just don't have the freedom to speak whatever you say, whatever you want on social media, they kind of can just block whatever they like. Right. The government, the government so to speak. So that's, that's definitely a limitation uh, of this research that I would love to point out. Um, the fact that, you know, in analyzing the social media data from some of these countries, um, they may like, there's always the possibility that they suppress, they suppressed, you know, some of the true sentiments of the population and, or, you know, suppressed, um, who, who knows even if the numbers like the COVID numbers that they're reporting are truthful. Um, you know, that's something that, um, is scary to think about, um, but is out of all of our control. So, um, you know, as I do this research, I got to take the, the data at face value um, and just hope that, you know, I could take, you know, we can take aspects of, you know, maybe some of their public health strategies and disseminating this information, um, stuff that, you know, can be universal without, you know, trying to hone in on some of the data because all we can do is take it at face value at this point, even though, you know, it may not be a hundred percent truthful, but unfortunately that's, that's, I guess, a conversation for a different time. It's something that we may never know. Uh, uh, Laura here, I would like to ask a question just while you were talking, I was thinking if you also explore any strategies to fight misinformation, because if you focus a lot, a lot of, on that, I would like to know what else can we as the public do or what, other strategies are out there to you know like fight that problem. yeah yeah no that's a great question so um i've been seeing you know a number of 
proposals to fight misinformation and um you know fighting misinformation comes from two areas it's you know the people posting the misinformation whether that's news outlets or social media platforms etc they have a responsibility in my opinion to make sure that the information that they are disseminating regarding you know especially serious topics is factual um but i think us you know consumers of this information the general population I also think that we have a responsibility to not take everything that we read on face value. Um, and just the other day, I saw a stat that, you know, the news and the information that people see on social media is the most trusted news from their point of view. So for example, if they see some news on social media, they see it in the newspaper, they see it on, the, on television, um, they're most inclined to trust the social media um, information and and the stats are saying that they should say the exact opposite um now from a governmental or a public agency point of view um one thing that they can do to kind of combat misinformation is using social media and their resources itself to kind of gauge what their population is thinking and what their population is believing at the time and then disseminate their own information to combat that misinformation. For example, you know, early on, you know, there was a lot of news going around saying that people not showing symptoms may not be able to spread the virus. Um, and just as an example, if they use their own resources to know that, you know, on a general scale, this is what the population is thinking, they can then, you know, disseminate their own information knowing that this is not true to correct that. Um, another way I know it's already in motion, like for Twitter, um, Twitter is looking into, you know, putting disclaimers on certain things saying, um, you know, they're not saying that the information is wrong or it's not factual, but they're just putting a disclaimer beside certain things saying, you know, basically read this with caution and, you know, make a judgment for yourself. Um, so those are just some strategies and, you know, we got to do our part in not taking information at face value as well as you know those um actually transmitting this information they have the responsibility of you know making sure that it's it's good information you know it's interesting you've you've mentioned good information misinformation information boy there's a lot going on out there in the world how does the the common person who's just sifting through things and maybe twitter is their most common place where they go to grab information how do you know what's credible as a as a consumer of information how do you know what to believe yeah so the the data right now is showing that um information coming from you know government agencies and or health agencies for example um the cdc um and and so forth and so on health canada the the data is showing that these are the most trusted sources um and, you know, on a personal kind of level, I would like to say, you know, you could read social media, you can read some of the more official top level information, you know, platforms like government websites. Um, but I think it's really important that to get the, you know, the true picture, the true information, I think everyone should visit multiple sources um, just to confirm that what they're reading is true and what they're reading is right. So um, to answer your initial question, um, I think if you're looking for the most factual information, it, it's that coming from the government, but to get, you know, it can't hurt to get, 
you know, the, the bigger picture and, you know, the viewpoints of a number of different sources and just making sure that you're getting your information from a number of different sources so that, you know what, you can then look at everything and make, you know, the judgment for yourself and say, okay, I believe this to be true because there are a number of sources saying this. And that's all that you can do, in my opinion. Um, you, you'd mentioned uh, earlier in the interview that uh, anonymity was a, a major factor here. Um, would you, you know, if someone, let's say someone was completely naive to social media and, and they said, hey, I want to get involved in this. I want to go on social media and I want to talk to people and I want to uh, be informed. Uh, would you Would you be pointing them to different social media platforms based on whether they're going to be interacting with people uh, who are more anonymous or less anonymous. I mean, I, I'm just imagining an angsty teenager who just decides it's fun to say that, you know, you should um, point a hairdryer in your mouth and that'll, that'll kill COVID. And then it just spreads because that angsty teenager had a weird idea that he thought he would get views on TikTok for, for like, it could just literally start like that. So, I mean, would you rather point them to a platform where, pretty much everyone's being verified or does that factor into whether you should use a social media platform for information or not? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, you know, most of us have social media in this day and age. I for sure do. Um, and I'm, I'm never going to say don't get social media. Um, for sure. Get social media, you know, post pictures, you know, communicate with friends. Um, but you just got to be cautious in what information you're sharing um, because it then becomes public information. Um, and you have to be careful of what information you're reading on those sites. And um, to answer your original question, no, I wouldn't recommend social media for, you know, very serious factual information regarding COVID or anything else. Um, I, I would, you know, recommend going to a newspaper or going to a government website. Um, that is where the most, you know, factual and, um, and correct information is. Um, so to, to answer your question, no, I, I wouldn't recommend social media for, you know, to gain information, but for sure, just, I, I, but I'm not saying don't have social media, have fun on social media, just be careful of what, what you're consuming as well as what you're posting. So, so with that, you know, we're coming quite almost to the end here. And you mentioned, you know, use social media and you use social media yourself. Maybe you could tell us what social media do you use? Not necessarily for information purposes. As you said, it's not the best place to get your information. But in general, if people wanted to find you on social media, where could they find you? Yeah, so um, I'm most active on Instagram and Facebook. Um, and you can find both uh, on Facebook. I'm just Francesco Colosimo, my name. Um, and on Instagram, my handle is francesco.colosimo. Um, feel free to shoot me a message on, on either if you have any more questions. Um, not too, too active on Twitter. So if you decide to send me a message on that platform, you may not get a timely response. Um, but I would love to, you know, talk about this topic, you know, even outside my research, because it's something that I... Um, clearly read about on my free time just out of interest and I think is, is pretty interesting and and I find myself fortunate that I'm able to you know do some research in something that I'm so interested in um, so yeah well thank you Francesco this has been a really enlightening interview you've been listening to Gradcast the podcast and radio show of Western University 
I'm your host, Elizabeth Moeller, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Ariel Crane, our producer, Laura Benna, and our guest for today's show, Francesco Colosimo. If you've liked what you heard, feel free to join us on the radio at 94.9 FM. You can find us on social media, Twitter, and Facebook at Gradcast Radio. You can also check out our YouTube video for a whole list of episodes. Maybe you'd like to get in touch with us, perhaps be on the show yourself. You can do that by emailing gradcastradio at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great night.